From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is the inaugural Teeing It Up Presents, the non-golf brand of Teeing It Up, uh, for February 11th, 2019, uh, 2020, excuse me, and we welcome for this first one, Jordan Brickman to talk uh, basketball and some random baseball stuff. So welcome, Jordan. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. All right, we've you've not been on a long time, and a lot has happened uh, in 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 this span, both with the Knicks and then and then nationally. So, let's just start with the Knicks for a second. Since you've been on the since you've been on the podcast, David Fisdale's got fired. Marcus Morris Senior got traded, and this team has not been very good. Um, so. Oh, and 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 Scott Mills got uh, f- uh, sorry, Steve Mills got fired. So there's a lot that's happened, um, and not a lot of good, maybe except for Reggie Bullock um, and at times Randall. So how do you look at this team right now? You knew they wouldn't be very good. You came preseason when it's very optimistic. Um, so where's your head at with everything that has happened with the Knicks? Yeah, you know, obviously it, it's not going well. <laughs> um, you know, one thing that I, uh, you didn't mention in that list there is the rumored hiring of Leon Rose, World Wide West, and Steve Stout. Um, Steve Stout uh, was on first take today, um, and the Knicks had to release a statement because he made some comments that they didn't like. So that's not off to a good start either. Oh, jeez. Um, you, know, you know, the team, and James Dolan, I guess, in particular, has the tendency for the flashy hire, the flashy signing, the big name coach, the big name GM, you know, that's kind of his thing. He likes, he likes that. That's obviously has not worked out for his entire tenure, uh, with the Knicks. So as far, as far as kind of where we are, you know, RJ has been, you know, seems like a talented player, not blown away by what he's done. Mitch, Mitch has been, um, base level of what you kind of expected this year. You were hoping he would take a step forward. He hasn't been a starter, the entire season, really. Um, he's had his great moments, had a great game in his last game, but inconsistent. Um, you know, Frank, has, who is obviously, you know, my guy, has, has shown some flashes, but a lot, also a lot of inconsistency still from him. But I think he has taken a, a small step forward. Knox has taken a step back. Trier has not been in the rotation basically the entire season. Dennis Smith Jr. has been a disaster this year. Um, it's, it's been it's been not great. You know, Randall started off really slow. He's been much better recently, but he's a little hard to watch. Um, the Marcus Morris signing and trade, uh, an eventual trade, is going to be the the highlight of the year. You know, that was a they got him last minute at the end of this offseason. He was their best player, had a career year, and they got a first round pick and a second round pick in the double draft when the high school players are available. Um, as well as an expiring, obviously, in, in, a, in a European fast. That's going to be the highlight of the season. But if, you, if the Knicks, they have a, a poor track record of um, drafting drafting well, they do an okay job, but actually developing the players that they draft, they don't do a good job. So these first-round picks are all great, but if you can't turn them into a player or and or develop a player that you do draft, then there's not that much value there. So, you know, obviously we have a new regime now coming in. They're going to want their own coach, new, new GM probably, I think Mike Miller's done a fine job, you know, considering the hand he was given. He's 13 and 19, which would be good for seventh in the East uh, in that time frame. So he's he's done a fine job um, for for the. Hand. And they should be better than they are. They're better than the Hornets, for example, who have more wins than the Knicks. Um, they, they should be playing playing better. But it's just been a tough year um, so far. You got to hope that with 
however many games left, let's say 35 to 40 games left, um, you know, that they can, the young players can start to make some progress. You hope that Mitch can maybe come to the starting lineup and show some consistency. RJ can, can maybe continue to develop his game and then maybe, maybe Frank or Knox or one of those guys can, can show a little more progress going into the offseason. But it's, it's been a tough, tough year for sure. The, you know, a lot and there's been a lot in a row now for the next that have been tough, close to worst case scenario years. So, so we, we gotta, you know, keep hoping that that's something one day will, will, will change and new regime. So new optimism comes with that, but obviously new pessimism too, that they haven't hired a guy that, that has done this before. Um, still more hires to come. Allegedly, they're going to hire an experienced GM. Um, but, but uh, right now it's, it's, it's a difficult time once again to be an fan. Um, I'm, you know that weird feeling where you feel like you've seen this script over and over again? And this is something Mike Breen brought up a couple games ago. This Nick team has this really weird tendency, and I see this with the Jets, which is where I get this from, that when a really good team comes to town, they actually hang in there for a while or maybe have a lead, and then they lose late on a bad defensive play or a, a bad shot selection or a stupid turnover or you know, take the Sixer game I was at when... They dribble it into the corner full court instead of advancing it, and they get you know stymied, and the ball goes off Randall's hands. It just seems to me that they've actually played better than the record would indicate. They've been in good games, sorry, been in games against good teams, and they can't finish. You're somebody who's very competitive. You play ball yourself. Uh, not that I'm saying you're an NBA player, but what do you see from an X's and O's basketball perspective? Why can't this team finish these games? To me, that comes back to leadership and the veterans, and it's disappointing because there are a lot of veterans on the team, but, um, you know, they might be taken for granted a little bit when they're playing a team like the Hornets or a team that's, you know, not like a wizard or a team that's on playoff contention. Say, oh, you know, we don't have to be super laser-focused tonight because this team's not that good anyway, and... You know, we, if we play just okay, we can win the game. But again, the Sixers or, a great, or the Celtics, we have to be laser-focused for the game. We have to play super well just to even have a chance. To me, that, that's the mindset going in. I also think there's an aspect of the good teams taking the Knicks lightly and the Knicks coming out hot and and, and, and uh, sense of urgency and, and playing well in those games and then eventually, you know, kind of getting blown out a lot of times, like against the Bucks this, this year. Um, so I think you got to look at the other side, too. But... Um, to me, that comes down to, to preparation on the coaching staff and, and the veteran to kind of set that tone and set that pace. And again, this team is kind of stocked full with veterans that, that should be able to do that. Alfred Payton, Morris when he was here, Randall, Taj Gibson, Bullock missed the beginning of the year, but, but, but he's a veteran. Wayne Ellington, all these guys are legitimate NBA players. Now, none of them are really stars. Morris and Randall are, you know, tier two uh, players, but these guys, they should be better than they are considering the amount of veterans they have and the, the talent that's on the team. Uh, again, I'm not saying even the 500 record, but they should be um, better than they, they, they have been. So, so to me, it's a combination of all those things. For Fizdale to be 4-18 um, when, when he got let go is, is, is pretty disturbing, especially when you see, you know, I think Miller came in at the right time for him. The team had played long enough at that point where they knew each other. They had just had a big players meeting. He came in, I think, at the, a fortunate time for him to take over. But in general, the, the, the team um, just kind of, you know, once you start losing, you start to point fingers, you start to make excuses. Um, it can build a culture of lame, and, and losing will just continue to snowball and pile on. So um, 
to me, it's a kind of a combination of things. And it really just comes back to just kind of that would summarize as the culture of the team um, has, has allowed that to happen. And not just this year, but over time. And that's what's concerning for some of these young guys is that um, you can get used to losing. Now, and that's what you get scared of happening is these guys getting used to losing. Uh, you need to build the culture of winning, which easier said than done, but, but that's the concern right now. Talking to Jordan Brickman about the NBA. All right, let's look at the NBA as we stand here going into the All-Star break and the All-Star game this weekend. And I want to start with the team that's second in the East. We knew Milwaukee would be really good. But here's Toronto on a 15-game winning streak, 40-14. and 14. You lose Kawhi. Um, and I think a lot of people thought this would be a solid Raptor team, but not this. How have they done it? Because it's not a lot of name brands once you get past uh, Kyle Lowry and a bunch of other guys have been hurt. And, and, and they've been doing it with a deep, deep rotation. Uh, it's got to be dangerous for somebody like the Celtics or the Sixers. I think the Raptors are doing this with some guys who are still out. It's, it's incredible. Um, Nick Nurse, probably coach of the year again, if not him, maybe Billy Donovan, but um, they, he's, they've done an incredible job over there. Uh, to your point, the injuries, you know, you can, I can list off the players like Siakam, Ibaka, obviously Lowry, Fred Van Fleet. You know, these, these guys are, have had really great years. But then when you look at how many games they've missed, it's amazing how they're still winning these, these, these games and beating these teams. Um, very, very impressive. They're going to be a very hard out in the playoffs. I do think that they're not an East contender. Uh, I just don't think they have enough firepower against you know a team like like the Bucks um, or even the, if the Celtics can kind of get, can can play well for a stretch of games come playoff time. Uh, I don't I don't know if they're if they're going to win the East, but they are going to be a very hard out. You're not going to sweep that team. They're going to play tough defense. They're well coached. Um, and they're pretty modern. They have a modern modern team, and they're very very deep and the. The depth of the team and the fact that they've been able to win with with all these injuries is going to just going to benefit them come playoff time when they need to rely on their eighth man to to, to come in and give them valuable minutes, you know, down the stretch of the game. So um, they're going to be a tough team to beat, and they've they've definitely been extremely impressive. Definitely have surprised me to this, to this point this year. They remind me of last year's Nets team. No, no big name brands. Not going to be featured on TNT NBA Thursday night. Not somebody you're going to be advertising, but just a good basketball team that's going to bother you until the buzzer sounds. Mm-hmm. And for sure, yeah, and and that's where I think they can be lethal. Did did you expect? And and this is pre Iggy, obviously trade. Mm-hmm. Did you ever expect the Heat to be this good? I mean, right now as we sit here. On February 11th, going into the games tonight, they're the four seed right now at 35 and 18. Did you think Jimmy Butler was enough to elevate this Heat team? No, they definitely did not. But kind of similar to the Raptors, very, very well-coached team, amazing culture, deep. They know how to draft and develop their players. That's just a team that if they're, they're the consummate overachiever. They, they almost all, You should almost always take the over on, on a Spolster team, I feel like, because because he always gets the most out of his players. And the real key for Butler's been good, very good. Um, you know, look at stats. He's shooting, I think, under 30% from three, which is kind of amazing that that's not even being discussed because they, they've been so good. But to me, Bam Adebayo is a star. Yeah, uh, He's made the all-star team now, but that guy is a beast. And I am excited to see what he does 
come playoff time, especially if they match up with a Sixers or something like that to see what he does against an Embiid um, or how, how much how, how much he can uh, expose a team like the Celtics who do not have like really uh, established big man other than uh, a couple you know fringe fringe centers. Um, he, he is a monster, and they run the offense through him, and he's a very, very good athlete. He's very strong, um, and he's a great passer. So that, that team, to, to me, he, he's going to be the key for them. Um, no Butler's a great player. Iggy, Jay Crowder, also an underrated addition. They're so deep, and then you look at guys like Kendrick Nunn, um, Tyler Harrow. These, these guys can, can really shoot the ball. I remember when the Knicks played them, I was like, geez, they're just, everyone can score from all points of the floor. Um, whether it be mid-range from three at the paint. They're just a very skilled team and, again, very well-coached. They're going to have good defensive game plans, offensive game plans to counteract whatever the team is doing. But to me, to me, they are, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the Sixers. They're kind of, who knows what's going on over there. I think there's something in the water. But if you were to remove the Sixers, the Heat, to me, are, are, are uh, the, the biggest challenger to, to the Bucks in the East. Let's go to the West. Um I, I think for the I, I think the Lakers being number one not a surprise forty and twelve LeBron doing his thing AD doing his thing Denver the Clippers blah 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 I want to go to Houston and this is where we'll bring in the the trade deadline they're a part of this gigantic biggest trade in in I th- I th- what over a decade I think uh, twelve players and they trade Clint Capella. And they go small. And I'm sitting there watching that game last Thursday, Jordan, with my dad. And I'm watching just lobs, lobs to AD, lobs to AD, lobs to AD. And that's like the first quarter. I go to sleep. I wake up and I see that the Rockets won that game. Does Mike D'Antoni know what he's doing here? Did they actually make the smart move by trading Clint Capella? Well, well, it's fascinating, right? It's they don't have anyone really over, I think six, seven, maybe six, eight, pretty much six, half the roster, or at least in the rotation. Yeah, six, um, six. Playing da- Daniel House at, at the center, or Covington at center, or PJ Tucker at center is is, is amazing. You know, Dan Tony basically said, I think I think the mindset they have, and even Maury as well, because we don't know if Maury's going to keep his job after the China thing, and based on how the year ends. Um, and Dan Tony's in the last year of his contract. They're basically saying, look. We're going to go for it with our style, and if it wins, then great. If it doesn't win, then um, then it doesn't win. But we're going to we're going to sell out to, to win the way that we want to play. Um, now, I think they, you know, and a lot of play, people are saying, you know, right now the window is open in the NBA for someone to take the championship because the Warriors are out, and the Lakers and the Clippers and the Bucks. These guys are all they all have flaws. However, they all have big men, except for the Clippers, with the exception of the Clippers. But, and, and if you look in the West in particular, you got obviously got Anthony Davis, but they have also Dwight Howard who can score in the post a little bit. Javale McGee is a big guy for the lobs um, and can really just destroy them on the board. Obviously, you have Jokic out there, you have Gobert. Um, there's a lot of really, really great, and in some cases, best player on team centers in the West that they're going to have to match up against. And to me, I don't think that this uh, style of play will be able to usurp all of those teams in the West um, to, to win the conference because there's just too much. Who's going to guard Anthony Davis at the end of the game? If you put him iso isolation in, on on the block, who is stopping him? The team that team has too much talent. Uh, the, Lakers, the Lakers, this is too much talent to double him. You can't double a player with LeBron James on the court. Um, 
they're they're going to have a lot of trouble defensively out there. Um, but I, I think they're not going to be an easy out. They're they're going to be a hard team to beat because they're going to play their own style. They don't care what you're doing. We're going to play our way, and you're going to either beat us or adjust to what we're doing. So I give them, I tip my cap to them for for doing that. And it'll be fascinating to see what they do. I almost would have liked to see them do this against the you know the elite Warriors teams because this is kind of the perfect perfect team to play them because they don't that team didn't have a big really either. Um, have Covington uh, kind of play center against a guy like Draymond. It would be would have would have been interesting, and they could switch everything like they wanted to do. And Capella was played off the court anyway in a lot of those series, so uh, it's it's a it's an interesting trade. I tip my cap off of them for trying something new. You know, Westbrook has been has an interesting year. Uh, I was I was re- listening to the Ringer podcast, and they were mentioning how Westbrook's shot profile recently has mimicked that of a center. He stopped shooting from long distance, and he's only shooting in the paint. He's only going to shoot high percentage shots that 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 uh, he can finish easily because obviously his, his jumper has really evaporated over the last two, two and a half years. So let's just shoot only at the rim. And the team is so spread out, Westbrook is able to, to get to the rim at ease, which you can do anyway, but when you have it isolation one-on-one, he can get there against pretty much anybody in the NBA. Uh, and But he's going to have options to stitch it out to. Everyone else in the team can shoot from the corner, from the top. Uh, so they're going to be a hard team to beat. They have a lot of talent. They're going to be able to switch everything on defense, but are they going to get destroyed on the on the glass? And is someone going to be able to, to post them up and get easy buckets over and over and over again, or the lobs, like you said? Um, it, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens in, in the playoffs for them. What else in the West has stood out here as we near the break? I think Utah, you know, I, I, if you recall from our podcast game of the season, Utah was a team that I highlighted that I, that I was keeping an eye on. They're, they're, they're pretty darn good. Um, you know, I don't know if they're a title contender necessarily, but Bogdanovich has been a perfect addition to that team, shooting from three. Conley has had a tough start to the year. He's had a couple of good games recently, so hope, you hope to see he can kind of pick things up as the season progresses and is actually a factor come playoff time because he was pretty darn atrocious for the first 30 games of the year or so, and obviously got hurt as well. Um, so I look to see how he, how he does. But Donovan Mitchell is, is bona fide all-star. He's a very strong player. Um, he's, a, he's a closer. I really like him. Gobert, you know, back-to-back defensive player of the year. Obviously a force down there. I'm, I'm curious to see how he does come playoff time against, you know, if they play a team like the Rockets, what happens when their their big the Rockets big man is Daniel House or Covington. Can Gobert stay on the floor with those guys? Um, so, so that'll be interesting to see. And then obviously the Thunder. I, I mentioned earlier Billy Donovan. The Thunder have been incredible this year, what they've done with, with Chris Paul having kind of his resurgence. Gallinari, Shai, uh, just, uh, Gilles, uh, Alexander is having an, an amazing second season in the NBA. Uh, Schroeder off the bench, my title in sixth man of the year. They've really stood out to me as just a very, very, very impressive. And again, this goes back to these teams that are developing culture. They're developing their young players right. They, they are, are, are well coached. That's what you want to see in the NBA for these teams. And it makes, when you have that, it makes sense that you're going to overachieve. And the Thunder, to go back to, to the Heat, uh, to the Raptors, those teams have that. And not ever, it's not easy to develop. And even the Spurs, who have not been that great this year, they've developed that, that culture there, that you know, a, a status of excellence is expected when you play for that team or for, for their coaches of, of those respective teams. So they, they've been really impressive. The excitement of, of some of the younger teams in the West, the Grizzlies, John Moran is a star. They, the Grizzlies have... have crushed their all their moves in the last year or so. Brandon Clark was a great draft pick. Obviously, John Morant was a no-brainer. 
Brandon Clark was a great draft pick. The the Iguodala uh, trade for Justice Winslow, I've always liked Winslow. He's had some tough times in, in Miami. He's had some injuries, but I really like him. Um, they just signed Dylan Brooks to an extension. They've just done a. I've been very impressed by what they're doing in Memphis. And the Pelicans, who are outside looking in right now, uh, have had a very nice year considering their record. Ingram's an all-star. Zion obviously was hurt, but he looks like a damn monster out there. Lonzo's taken a step. You know that that team is also very interesting. So uh, a lot of exciting teams in the NBA right now. And I really hope that either the Memphis Grizzlies or the the Pelicans can get into that eighth seed in the West and, and, and see what they can do come, come playoff time just to get some experience. The Grizz are currently the eighth seed. Uh, the Pelicans are five games out of that seed. All right, trade deadline. Which um, which trades did you like? Which trades did you not like? I, well, I love the Iguodala trade for, for both sides. Um, you know, Winslow makes sense to, to, to get rid of for the Heat. They have so many players. Winslow kind of needs some time. A, he's not been healthy, so let him get some value for him if you're the Heat. Um, and he's a great fit for that culture in, in Memphis and, and another athlete, another element for that team. But then you look back excuse me, to, to what the Heat are doing. So, you know, Iguodala will fit on most teams, but he'll be such a great fit there um, with, with a combination of young players and veterans that they have. He's obviously a very, very savvy defender, um, very intelligent defender who's played in the biggest moments. Uh, basically, you possibly could play in you put him next to a guy like Jimmy Butler, a guy like Bam Adebayo. You know, you can even play Iggy at the four if you really need to, or Butler at the four and Iggy at the three, and you have a lot of, fl- of switchability and athleticism out there on, on the floor. So I really, really like that trade. You know, Marcus Morris, obviously, from, from the Knicks got moved um, to the Clippers. I'm happy with the return the Knicks got. To me, that doesn't really move the needle for them. Um, Mo- Morris is a, is a Similar to Iguodala, can fit any team. Any team could use a guy like that. Big, tough, can shoot, can create his own dribble, good in the locker room, um, has kind of all those intangibles. But to me, that's not what they needed. That's not even what the Lakers need. The Lakers could use always use another shooter, but the Clippers and Lakers both need another ball handler. You know, I called it out in our podcast previewing the season, but they have neither team has really addressed that issue. Darren Collison is not coming to save them, um, and, and they, they've offenses can stagnate. So. So I, I was I was surprised to see someone like Derrick Rose wasn't moved or really any point guard was, was, wasn't moved uh, to one of those two teams. So, you know, it's a nice trade. They, they didn't give up the world for Morris, but they did give up some pieces. Um, and, and I don't really know if that moves the needle for that for them long term so uh, or even short term, I should say. So that, that trade to me was just okay. Uh, obviously, there was the big 12-team trade. The D'Angelo Russell trade is interesting. Um, you know, pairing him with Cat. Cat was unhappy. In Minnesota, so get him his best butt out there and and see what they how they mess. That's two uh, pretty strong offensive weapons to, to match together. But defensively, that's going to be a real a real struggle out there. You know, they have Culver too, who's had an inconsistent year, but seems to be a nice player. Okogi, I think, is an interesting player. Um, so that team has some has some stuff to work on, but it's an interesting pairing. I'm not sure if it'll work out. I could see in a year or two those guys asking for, for trades or asking to be moved, but um, I like that the Wolves are taking a shot at it. And on the flip side, I love Wiggins on the Warriors and the first-round pick that they got. Yep. You know, we spoke about the, the Russell signing uh, over the summer, and you know the point I made was just that um, it was just about bringing in talent to, to the Warriors roster. Um, you know, they just, they just had a they had a talent problem, so the Russell signing light might not be the perfect fit for the future of the team, just to bring talent in. 
and now they were able to flip him into an actual a a need. They didn't. They needed someone to play the Harrison Barnes role on this team, and Wiggins is capable of doing that, probably even better. And they got a first round pick, and they're going to get a top five pick probably this year as well. They are set up so well for the future uh, for next year. Steph and and Clay and these guys are probably going to be very well rested after not having to play, you know, through June this year. I think they've done a, they've done a very impressive job out there in Golden State. I really like the fit of Wiggins on that team. Um, but I think you know Minnesota. He was supposed to be a superstar in Golden State. He just needs this is what Steve Kerr said. He just needs to play his role. He just needs to play defense, cut to the hoop, and try to hit some open shots um, as needed. So I think he'll be able to again join that culture that they've created and, and become a really strong player for them next year. I have no idea if Clay Thompson's coming back this year. I think Steph would have to come back, right? I think it would be blatant tanking if Steph never comes back this year. It, it sounds like he's going to come back, but, you know, it's, I think the lottery, new lottery rules, he can come back and win a couple of games. I'm sure he won't play back-to-back or, you know, load management, stuff like that. You know, he comes back mid-March, comes plays another month. Clay, there's some talk about Clay maybe playing a couple of games just to, you know, Sometimes you want to have the guy check the box and like, okay, I'm healthy. Let me have a full off season. Um, so they should come back and you know play just play a few games here. If they win 17 games or 20 games, it doesn't really make a huge difference, really. Right. Bottom three team, they're they're probably going to be bottom three record no matter what, and that's really what matters um, with these new rules. And 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 this is what is so fascinating to me and why this trade is vital. You have suddenly. A, given the Warriors a starting lineup that is insane. B, they addressed a need. C, they were able to flip somebody who is not a need. D, they now get the run-up from Team USA. Team USA has been sitting pretty when Steph Curry broke his hand. Because now you get Steph rested for the Olympics. You would think Clay might go to the Olympics just to be just to get himself moving post-torn ACL. And if Pop uses the Coach K method of four minutes, four minutes, four minutes, that's all we need, suddenly you've got a Warriors team that is rested, healthy, stronger, and will have Steph and Clay getting games under their belts and under them before next season. It's the ideal situation for Steve Kerr. Yeah, I, you know, I was actually big on the Warriors this year. I, I was pretty. I I felt like Steph and, and Dre would do enough to get them to playoffs, and then Clay would come back, and they would be a dangerous team with, and then with Russell as well. Um, so I really like them this year. But next year, man, oh man, they're going to be a dangerous team. Um, you know, people are going to forget how, how good these guys are, and and they're going to come out. And I feel like a guy like James Wiseman would be the perfect draft pick for them in the top five. Um, throw an athletic center on the team. Um, they have the, they got two picks, for, two second round picks for for a couple of bench guys and Alec Burks um, to, 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 the, to the Sixers. So and uh, Glenn Robinson to the Sixers. So they're just doing a great job. They're going to have assets to trade. Man, they they are set up set up pretty. The guys are like I think thirty thirty one. So they have a couple more years still. Uh, or at least they should hopefully play as healthy, you know, long-term to, to, to really still be an elite team in the NBA. All right, before we get to baseball, it's time for Jeremy's random question. Why do the Knicks need a new branding expert? That is not why the Nets got good. The Nets got good because of Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson, and the culture. Culture is not via marketing people. 
I do not understand this hire. I don't understand the guy going on first take. I don't understand what the Knicks are doing here. You don't need to rebrand the franchise. You just need to bring in good freaking basketball people. Uh, you're preaching to the choir, man. You know, I, I don't really see the value of bringing someone like Steve Stout in. Maybe we get some cool jerseys out of it. <laughs> um, but I, I don't really uh, see the value of, of I, you know, again, I feel like James Dolan thinks the world, were, I, I spoke about this a little bit with some of my, some of my buddies when the hires were made to Leon Rose, Steve Stout, and Bobby West. It's like he thinks the world is just, uh, you know, all about who you know, which it, it is, a lot of it is that, but when it comes to actually developing a company and a business and an organization, who you know won't take you so long. The proof will be in the talent in the organization. The Knicks have not had enough talent to put on the floor uh, or in the or in the, the back office, basically since James Dolan's taken over the team. So, you know, you can try to rebrand it and market things differently, but if the, the proof will be in the wins and losses, and if they do not improve the record and get some talent in the door, nothing's going to change uh, for the team. Yep. All right, uh, Jordan Brickman, your Mets um, have had a rough go here. Um, first, you think you've, you're going to have a money infusion from Steve Cullen. That falls apart. Then Carlos Beltran and this story that came out from Ken Rosenthal and his writing partner on this, Evan Drellich, just two hours ago, uh, which I have not read yet, but apparently shows that, that Beltran was even more in on the sign-stealing scandal, you lose your manager. This is a Met team that should be um, quality, but suddenly you don't get the cash infusion you want. The Wilpons look like a laughing stock again, and now you're being dragged into a sign-stealing scandal again when you thought you had, uh, were done with it when Mr. Beltran was uh, mutually parted ways with. Yeah, well, the sign stealing scandal, you know, the, the, the Mets have washed their hands of Beltran at this point. Um, so so I, I really hope that that's not a distraction for the Mets, at least. Uh, it is very typical Mets, though, that another team wins a championship and, and it impacts the Mets, of course. Yes, um, yes. So, so, you know, I, I hope that that's not a problem moving forward, no matter how implicated Beltran is in the scandal. I think that they've washed their hands of him, or at least I hope to think that. You know, that was very unfortunate. I was super excited for Beltran. Um, I think I probably would have kept him on the team, but you know they made. I think they made the judgment call, and and, and hopefully, hopefully was the right call. Um, the the Steve Cohen thing is very disappointing. Um, you know he would have been the far and away the, the richest baseball owner. Um, he's a Mets fan. Sounds very cutthroat for as far as you know, willing to spend money and and go after what he wants. You know the opposite of the Wilpons. Uh, that that's very disappointing. The good news is the Wilpons are selling the team. Um, and a let, a let, reportedly, there's not going to have any any stipulations around five-year, you know, rollout plans or things like that. Whoever buys the team buys the team immediately. That's allegedly what's happening, or what the auction will be. Sounds like whoever buys the team will not have the, the cash that Steve Cohen has. Not many people do have the cash that Steve Cohen has, so um, that's a little disappointing. But hopefully, at least a billionaire, because the Wolfpons are not billionaires even right now. Hopefully, a billionaire buys the team. Um, and can and can really you know change some things. The good news is that you kind of alluded to this, Jeremy. Uh, there is a lot of talent on the field. Uh, this is a good team with star power. It's obviously in a big market. It should be attractive to, to owners, uh, and hopefully they can they can continue to be to build on that this year. 
because uh, they have a chance to do to do some damage uh, in in baseball in the NL East and, and in the and in the um, the NL just in general. So so you hope uh, all that matters is once games start that the Will Ponds and all that is not a distraction to let the guys go play um, and, and hopefully win a bunch of ball games. And I like the fact that you hired an in-house guy to be the manager. There was no need to start some search and change cultures. Let Luis, who know these guys, come in, manage the team, just go day to day, do the business, and just you know let the players play. And I think that's the easiest way to wipe your hands of any scandal is just to hire somebody you trust and go with it. And that's what they've done with that hire. Um, yeah. On 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 the sign stealing scandal itself, just uh, two minutes on this. Where's your head at in terms of? Should the Astros and Red Sox have had their uh, have had their World Series championships vacated? The fact that we still don't have this Red Sox report, I think, is insane. I think Alex Cora may get Pete Rose treatment. Um, to me, this speaks volumes that we do not have the Red Sox part of the report yet. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that we don't have that. Um, it's kind of shocking, honestly, because spring training has officially begun as of, as of uh, yesterday. So it, it, it's pretty shocking that it's not out yet. And the Red Sox are spiraling. You know, they just made that Mookie Betts trade that everyone's panning. Obviously, this report's going to come out. I'm sure it won't look good. Um, so... So they're they're in a lot of trouble there, and they're clearing the way for the Yankees to really run that division. You know, there's some other talented teams in that division, but the Yankees um, are already stacked, and they're really clearing the way for them to kind of run run that division for for many years to come. Um, as far as stripping the World Series, I don't really care about that because at the end of the day, we're going to know who won the, t- the, t- the title anyway. You know, or if someone says who won the championship 2017, you're gonna you're gonna say the Astros. So. Um, it's not. Doesn't. I don't really care if you take their trophy away because history will always have, have. You know, people will know what happened. So it's gonna be a little arbitrary to kind of take take that trophy away. But um, everything's gonna always have an asterisk. Pretty much for the rest of the Astros' career, all the players' career, or manager's career, there will always be that asterisk on those players. They really need to go out there um, and probably try to win another championship again and do their best to, to prove that they're not cheating. However, you can do that. Um, because otherwise they're, they're going to get booed. They're going to get beamed a lot this year. Um, it should be interesting to see what the fallout will be, especially from, from teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and they, when they come to town. Um, you know, other, other title contenders, what, what, what will happen to, to some of the, the main players involved. So, especially um, Jose Altuve. To me, yeah, I don't, I don't really, it's not really a big deal to me. Especially Jose Altuve. That's going to be really interesting to see how he's treated. Um, finally, can we take the pick your opponent playoff proposal and bring that to the NBA in-season tournament to spice it up? Because I have no interest in this NBA in-season tournament, but I think that would be interesting. So can we just, can can Rob Manfred call, Adams, call Adam Silver and just move that portion of this MLB playoff revamp over one person? Uh, uh, sorry, one league? One sport. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. You know, the mid-season tournament, I'm waiting for all the details to come out for what that will look like because I tend to agree. I don't know how you make the fans interested in it, and I don't really know how you make the players interested in it unless you're just giving them a boatload of money. But I don't think money will do it. I think, I think their health is too valuable. Well, unless you can you know, structure it in a way where they're playing less games or something like that because of the tournament. That could 
you know, maybe there's a way around that. But, right. but I agree. If, if I have a little ache and pain, why am I playing in the championship game, killing myself when I could, I should be sitting out? Um, you know, it's, it, I don't know how you motivate the players enough. I think they said something like 45% of the league makes less than a million dollars. So, you know, if you give a million dollar bonus, that's significant to most of the guys on the team, but it's not significant to the best player on the team. And that's who's going to, you know, drive, drive the, the whole, the whole team's going to follow that, that person. So, um, you know, single elimination is interesting. It's not always basketball as pure as single elimination looking at something like the NCAA tournament. Um, based on, I think, I wonder how, how much Manfred was like, oh, NBA is looking to change things up. We should too. Um, you know, more playoff teams means more likelihood the Mets get a playoff game. So, you know, I kind of like that. But um, <laughs> for the sport, it probably doesn't really make sense, especially because the sport is so fluky that you're going to have teams that are under 500 making the playoffs and winning and eliminating teams that have won 90-plus games. And that's just not really what should be happening come, come playoff time for a sport like that. That's so fluky. Jordan Brickman, um, thank you for coming on Teeing It Up Presents. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. You got it. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up Presents. We'll see you next time.